Morning, everybody. It is good to see you all. Um, I must admit, some of you look a little brighter-eyed this morning than you have in weeks past. So I hope you're adjusting to this 10 a.m. start time and you got a little bit of extra sleep before you got here to get your coffee this morning. Um, We're going to jump into the Word of God. We've been in the book of Acts. uh, And I got to tell you, several months ago when I started planning this sermon series and thinking about what we would do in the book of Acts, I decided that I was going to break down the study into four little mini-series throughout the book of Acts, and uh, that's what we've been doing. The first series was called Co-Mission, if you can remember back to that. Uh, we talked a lot about God's mission for the church and what Jesus has actually called us to be about and how we can participate with Him in His mission on earth today to reach the lost and to care for and spread the love of Christ to others. The second uh, little mini-series in this series in Acts was called Body Life. And in that series, we talked a lot about what does it mean to be the, quote, body of Christ? What does it mean to be the family of God? How is it that we as God's people fit together in order to be a part of what God is doing? And we spent several weeks talking about that. Today, we're wrapping up the third little series in that, which is called World Changing Power. And that is a series all about the manifest power of God that we see throughout the book of Acts. And as we looked at last week, you can see almost every page of the book of Acts, God exhibiting supernatural power, overwhelming power. And that same power that God is exhibiting in the book of Acts is the same power that is available in the life of every follower of Christ today. And so we need to look at what God was doing then to have a sense of how God might be acting today through his church. So that's the first three series. If you want to know about the fourth series, you're going to have to keep showing up. You're going to have to keep tuning in online. So um, I won't give you any hints about that for now. But I have to tell you, when I sat down and sort of uh, lined out this series, especially this section on the supernatural power of God. You know, I just sort of broke the whole thing up and said, okay, it's going to be several weeks now before I get to that. But, th- but what I want to cover is basically this. I want to look at these miracles that God does throughout the book of Acts and all the ways that God shows supernatural power. And I want us to stop and think about what does that mean in our lives today? But interestingly enough, as I began to really sit down and dig in and start writing and studying and meditating on this section about the power of God, I found that God was sort of taking me in a different direction than I had imagined when I first sat down and decided to preach on this. Uh, And sometimes he does that. So um, I, I started realizing that what God really was sort of guiding me to was that um, we need to maybe, as we read the book of Acts, take our eyes off of some of the flashy, amazing stuff that makes us stand back and go, wow, I want to see that happen today. And instead, look even beyond that and go, hey, how does the power of God work to transform lives so that eternity is changed? And so, interestingly, that's not where I thought I was going with this, but that does seem to be where the Lord led me with this. And when God sets out to change lives, He rarely does it in ways that you would expect. Have you noticed that? 
It's, it's not in the way that we think. You have no doubt uh, heard the old adage, the Lord works in mysterious ways, right? Well, it may surprise you to know that line is not out of the Bible, just like a lot of other famous lines that get credit for being in the Bible. Um, that line is not straight out of the Bible. It is inspired by the teaching of Scripture, but the line itself actually is inspired by an old 18th century hymn written by a guy named William Cowper, which is entitled, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And I want to read the hymn to you. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. God works in mysterious ways. I think William Cowper was onto something when he wrote that hymn. I wonder where he got this idea that God moves in mysterious ways. Maybe... He got it from the passage we looked at last week in Isaiah 55, right? In Isaiah 55 where it says that God's ways are not our ways, that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Or, or maybe you got the idea from uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, where we're told the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Have you ever found that to be true in your own life? that you make great plans? Aren't we great at planning? We have great plans for our lives. And, and, and there have been so many times when I have made great plans and then God came along and messed everything up. <laughs> and, I, and I just think, well, God, didn't he read my script? Was he not paying attention to my plans? Let me give an example of this. We, uh, we started, as all, most of you know, we started about a year ago. We, we gathered this team in order to help us plan a sabbatical. Next, uh, next summer, Christy and I are going to be on a sabbatical during the summer. And um, we had heard about this ministry that gives large grants to churches to pay for sabbaticals for pastors and when the church needs that and the pastor needs that. And so um, we put a team together and we put a plan together and we wrote for this grant. Now, I don't know if you've ever written for a grant, but it is a massive undertaking. And you have to jump through a million hoops and you have to go all down all the roads that they tell you to go down. And we did all of that. And when I read the request that we put together as a team after months and months of prayer and hard work, I just went, well, this is a, this is a no-brainer. Of course they're going to give us this grant. How could they not give us this grant? I mean, who better should have this grant than Grace Fellowship? They should give us this grant. And uh, then 
We got word last week that they had decided not to give us this grant. I know, right? They must be dumb, these people. <laughs> but you know what's funny? Um, we've been praying and working on this for the better part of a year. And still, when I finally got the email, it was just short and to the point. Thank you for applying. Unfortunately, we received lots of applications and we were unable to um, give you this grant. Feel free to apply again in 100 years or something like that. And, and I, I read the email and I just had this overwhelming sense of peace. Because God directs our steps. And I don't care how hard you work making the plans. God directs our steps. And so I had this amazing sense. They won't even let you contact them and go, hey, how come? They tell you in the email, don't ask us why. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, all right. So um, I was just blown away to remember that after all of our work and all of our planning and all of our prayer and all of our joint uh, efforts, that God went, you know what? I always have a better plan than you have. And so for most of us, this last year and a half has not gone according to plan. Would that be safe to say? Um, it has been a bizarre time in our lives. Uh, for all of us here, this is the only time uh, in our lives that we have been part of a pandemic of this level. Um, and uh, it's been exactly what we did not expect. So um, that's been a great example of that. As you have struggled through all of these months and all of the adjustments that have been required of you in your life that have become necessary as a result of the past couple years, has it occurred to you that maybe God has been actively redirecting your steps? That, that maybe God has not fallen asleep that maybe God has not forgotten about us, that maybe God has not been overwhelmed by some plan that he knew nothing about, but that the God of the Bible who has been in control for all time is still in control today, and maybe that job you thought you were supposed to have, or that wedding date you thought you were supposed to have, or that child you thought you weren't supposed to have, or, or whatever... <laughs> <laughs> that God was somehow redirecting your steps. I want to throw that out there for us today to really chew on. I wonder what Abraham thought. After God promised him in no uncertain terms, you will have a son, and through that son I will make a great nation. And then he and his wife grew into old age, past the age of childbearing, and were barren the entire time. I wonder what he thought. I wonder what he thought when finally that miracle son came and God said, okay, you've got him, now kill him. I wonder what he thought. How do you think the children of Israel felt when they watched God do the miraculous, 10 miraculous plagues to deliver them from Egypt and they go out of Egypt safe and free for the first time in 400 years, 
only to come up against the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them. I wonder how they felt. What do you think the soldiers in Saul's army thought when they saw this little kid David walking out onto the battlefield with just a sling and five smooth stones to face a giant? Or, or what about Naaman when he was told, don't worry, God will heal your leprosy. All you have to do is go and dip into the Jordan River, not once, not twice, but seven times. Or how do you think Joseph felt when the voice of an angel said, don't worry, she's telling you the truth. This really is of the Holy Spirit. See, there's so many times when the way that God is working is profound and important and deep and significant and exactly what we would not have expected. How do you think the disciples felt when Jesus, who said, I am the Messiah, I have come to deliver was hung on a cross, taken down dead. His ways are not our ways. And today we're going to see that played out in the book of Acts. As we come to the end of Acts 15, you're going to need your Bible, so go to Acts, New Testament, fifth book, book of Acts, right after John, and go to Acts chapter 15. And we're really going to be in chapter 16 for most of our time today, but we're going to get some context in chapter 15. Because remember, uh, Paul and Barnabas had been on this missionary journey. They have now returned home from that journey. They're in their home church in Antioch, resting and catching up with people and bringing a report when the word comes to them that there's going to be a second missionary journey. And it's going to have a world-changing impact. But it does not happen the way they expected it. It doesn't happen the way we would expect it. The first journey began at a worship service, right? They were worshiping and praising God. And the Spirit spoke to them and said, I want you to set aside Paul and Barnabas to the work that I have called them. And they worshiped and they obeyed and they sent them off. And the world was lit a fire by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how the first journey began. But that's not how the second journey began. Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return to visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria in Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Even the godliest of people don't see eye to eye sometimes. So here you have Paul and Barnabas, these men, these, these pillars of the early church, these men whom God has used to transform the world, and God calls them to go back out into the mission field, and they began to talk about how to do it. Do you remember when we were looking at this in the passage when Mark left them? And I said, oh, this guy, John Mark, he leaves them. That becomes important later. Well, this is when it becomes important. 
Because you see, Mark or John Mark or John, they sometimes call him, but we'll call him Mark. Mark is the nephew of Barnabas. And so there's this familial tie there. Paul is apparently pretty ticked off that Mark left them back in Pamphylia on the first journey. And we're not told why he left or what happened or we don't know ex- exactly what, you know, does it, was his passport no good? Did somebody get sick at home? We have no idea what happened. He just left. Now we find out Paul's not too happy about it. Thinks maybe this guy's not really committed. Maybe this guy can't really be trusted. I don't want him coming along with us. But, but um, Barnabas is convinced, no, he's an important part of God's plan. I want him with me. I'm trying to build into him. I'm trying to develop him as a young man of God. I want him with me. And they, they cannot see eye to eye to the point where it comes down to this. Barnabas and Mark go one direction to do ministry. And Paul and Silas go another direction to do ministry. And as chapter 16 opens, Paul and Silas stop off in a town called Lystra, where they meet a young man named Timothy, who becomes a traveling companion and a protege to Paul. Now, now we got Mark in the story, and we got Timothy in the story. Mark, as you may have guessed, turns out to be the guy who writes the gospel of Mark. He turns out to be a very important figure in God's plan for the world. And the, and the investment that Barnabas made in him no doubt pays off as he becomes uh, stronger and stronger in the Lord and writes the gospel of Mark, which is still changing lives today. Timothy, who joins up with Paul and Silas, is this young man that Paul wants to build into. And Paul builds into him, and Timothy becomes the pastor of the church at Ephesus, one of the most influential churches in the world. And he is the recipient of the letters 1st and 2nd Timothy, which we have in our Bibles. Also, pretty important. And only a few verses later, it doesn't say this, um, but you pick it up. A few verses later, the, the um, narration changes from third person to second person. Luke, who is writing this, also joins them. And instead of saying they went here and they did that, he says we went here and we did that. And we begin to see that now Luke, who also writes a gospel and writes the book of Acts, becomes a part of this team. Interesting how this split, which everybody looks at and goes, ooh, that's kind of a black eye in the early church, God used anyway. God works in mysterious ways. But wait till you see what happens next. Look at chapter 16. Let's pick it up in verse 6 and 7. They pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Does that seem weird to you? God called them to go and preach the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. This is their calling. And they go, you know what? Let's go north. There's all of these people 
that have been unreached by the gospel. There are influential nations there. There are places where the gospel could spread from. Let's go north into what they were calling Asia. Don't get confused. It's not the same as what we call Asia today. It's basically above Turkey. And they're talking about going north into something more like what we would call Eastern Europe today. And... uh, The Holy Spirit, according to verse 6, forbids them to go and preach the gospel. Sometimes, the very thing we expect that God would want us to do, the very thing that we go, well, of course it's in God's will, God doesn't bless. God doesn't get involved in Why would God forbid something that we know is within his larger will? For example, I know, I don't think, I don't guess, I'm not wondering, I know from experience that God has the power to miraculously heal the sick. Can anybody say amen to that? I'm not just talking about the book of Acts. I'm not just talking about in the Gospels. I mean, right now, today, God miraculously heals the sick. I have been personally miraculously healed. I know it happens. I have watched people that I knew literally instantaneously healed as we prayed for them. I know that God heals the sick. I've also presided over funerals for people that we prayed for to be healed. Why? I don't know. What I know is that of the hundreds, thousands perhaps, that I have personally prayed for to be healed, you could count the number on two hands that I've actually seen supernaturally, instantaneously healed. I don't know why God doesn't do things I would expect him to do. And I don't know why he sometimes doesn't do things that I know are in his larger will. It is God's will that all would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And yet, I have shared the gospel with people who have rejected it. Why? I don't know. But I know this. His ways are not my ways, and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Paul just wanted to do the very thing that God had called him to do. God had called him and empowered him, even saved him and set him aside so that he could preach the gospel to people who had never heard it before, and when he wanted to do it, God forbid him to do it. That makes no sense to me. And I don't think it made any sense to Paul either. It must have been discouraging. What am I doing out here? In verse 7, again, Paul wants to go to Bithynia, also part of what he called Asia. But God, once again, would not allow it. Why? We're supposed to be his witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth, but God wouldn't let him go north with the gospel. He must have been so confused. But then, 
as they trusted and obeyed the Lord, in spite of their plans, God began to redirect their steps. You see, miracles are awesome. Supernatural intervention is incredible, but one of the greatest ways God can sometimes show His power is by not giving us what we're asking for. Sometimes one of the ways that God shows His amazing power is by not letting us go where we want to go. Sometimes He shows His amazing power by not letting us have what we want to have. God was about to change the world in a way that only He knew about, and Paul had no idea. Now we can look back in hindsight and go, aha, God was at work. So He redirected their steps. They wanted to go to Asia God wanted the gospel to go to Europe. Look at verse 8. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to see from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. Philippi. Philippi. Where have I heard that? Oh yeah, the book of Philippians. The Roman colony that God was sending them to was this little place called Philippi, which turns out to be the home of one of the most influential churches in the history of the world. God wasn't keeping them out of Asia. He was sending them into Europe. And Europe became the gateway of the gospel to the rest of the world. But even the visit to Philippi did not go like you would expect. They, re um, they reach Philippi, they preach the gospel outside the city gates where there's some Jewish people who have gathered to worship and there's this Gentile woman who is worshiping with them. Her name is Lydia. They preach the gospel. Lydia gives her life to Christ, invites them to her home. They share the gospel with her whole household and the whole household gives their lives to Christ. And her home becomes the hub or the house church, if you will, of Philippi. And one day, Paul casts a demon out of a fortune-telling girl, and that throws the city into an uproar, and Paul and Silas end up getting beaten in the town square, chained up, and thrown into prison. Probably not in Paul's plan. Now, they were beaten in the public square without a trial. They were thrown into prison and chained up. Is that right? Is that just? No. But let's not forget, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And sometimes God shows his great power by changing our plan and redirecting our steps. Skip down to verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. They're in the prison here. They're chained up. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I don't know how often you share the gospel with anybody, but it's very rare that someone runs up to me and says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> this is a good day in the life of an evangelist. What must I do to be saved? They said, verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Wow. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Listen, what happened to Paul and Silas was unjust. It was wrong. It was bad. It was evil. And yet, for those who love the Lord, He causes all things to work together for good. He is working even when we are struggling. Just because we have to endure pain, just because we have to endure confusing circumstances, does not mean that God is not at work. God had not allowed them to go to Asia, made no sense to them. God had used the strangest of very disappointing circumstances to get them to Philippi into the jail where they could be where the jailer was ready to receive Christ. And just as the gospel was beginning to take root, God allowed his servants to suffer pain and injustice and indignity. Their basic human rights were trampled. And I'm not making light of that. It's always wrong when basic human rights are trampled. Even their rights as Roman citizens were ignored. And the government overstepped its bounds as governments are wont to do. But did that mean God was not at work? Nope. He was giving birth to the Philippian church. Paul and Silas would end up leaving immediately. But Lydia's family was there. The jailer and his family were there. The young lady who had had the demons cast out, she was there. That was the church that became the great church of Philippi which became the example that Paul used in his later letters to say what a church is supposed to be like. That infant church became one of the greatest congregations in the history of the church. God works in mysterious ways. His ways are not our ways. And even through injustice, God can work to bring about great things. Sometimes God's power is shown in strong ways that we could never expect. When God says no, 
There's always a reason. He rarely tells us the reason. When God doesn't heal, there's always a reason. It doesn't mean that he's unable to heal. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love the person that is being prayed for. But in his perfect plan, he's sometimes redirecting steps. Even when we can't possibly understand, there's always a reason. We just have to stop judging God in light of our circumstances and get back to remembering who God is and judging our circumstances in light of that truth. He is always good. He is always loving. He is always wise. He is always just. He is always merciful. He is always gracious. He is always powerful. He is always kind. He is always faithful because he is always God. It is his nature to be those things and he cannot be not those things because to be not those things he would have to become not God and there's the answer to the trivia question it's the one thing God cannot do he cannot be not God it is his nature to be those things we can count on him so what are we to do what are we to do because we have to live out these circumstances what are we to do when we don't understand why he is not giving us what we're asking for when it seems so obvious that he should? What are we to do when we're hoping in the Lord and he is not fulfilling that hope? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Because when we trust God to direct our paths, in the way that he sees fit, he promises to make our paths straight. Let's pray together. God, as we look to your word and think about your incredible power, we're amazed at the times when you just step in and intervene and do the miraculous. But God, make us amazed at you even when you don't step in and do the miraculous. Because you're always at work. You're always good. You're always faithful. Your timing is always perfect. And so, Father, for those of us here who are struggling today because you didn't say yes, because our plans have not worked out the way we hoped, because we dreamed dreams that we thought were from you and yet you seem to be redirecting. I pray that you bring comfort and peace and courage. And that as we move ahead, Father, and we're sure to come up against these situations in the future, that you would help us to be people who keep our eyes fixed on you and don't let our circumstances cloud our view of you. But Father, let us see our circumstances through the light of who you are. That we might walk in your steps. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.